0: seated. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this week. Uh, Had a great uh, time last week in uh, Opelika, Alabama. It was, uh, when I said good morning, I was looking at uh, two different services of of about maybe over 400 people. Uh, So it was really great to be able to, and I wasn't any more nervous than I am standing here right now, uh, which was a surprise to me. Um, very w- wonderful time of being with friends, and uh, the Lord bless, had a great time. Uh, for those of you interested, yes, I do have a picture of me uh, lying down on, a, on a, the green grass of a golf course, as I told you I would. I did not eat any grass, but I did lay there. In fact, my friend said uh, on Facebook, uh, he put the picture out there and said that Jim, uh, when he saw the green grass of a golf course became so overcome that he started crying and passed out. <laughs> so, uh, uh, <laughs> which wasn't far from the truth. Uh, and between services, it was... Uh, I do have it on, yeah. Yep, it's on. Sorry. Okay. And between services, uh, between the 8.15 and the uh, 10.45, I sat on the stoop of the church with flowers around me and seventy five degrees so it was uh it was it was quite a, an amazing amazing uh thing and my my even the family I was staying with had the air conditioner on in the afternoon <laughs> just counterintuitive for me, but that's okay and I saw as I remarked I said everybody looks so healthy and uh there was i have, i haven't seen arms with skin on him or legs with skin in such a long time i said this is absolutely amazing so uh it was quite fun and it was a lot of fun it was a great people a great time and uh was thinking of you uh actually when uh i stood up and it was uh, it was a, it was great and thank you for the prayers for my mom appreciate that it is a it's been a difficult time she is at a place where um uh she's just Uncomfortable with everything right now, she can't find any peace uh, with the uh, the place this disease has her right now. So we really appreciate that. And uh, as as uh, was prayed, we do pray for intervention in the paperwork of uh, and the people who need to decide that. Uh, before we turn to the gospel, but turn to Gospel of John chapter eighteen. And we're going to be looking at verse 28 to chapter 19, verse 16. We're going to continue this uh, the witness of John, the great apostle, the disciple uh, of Christ, who has written for us this account uh, as not only... Uh, from the beginning of the ministry of Christ, but now even so, the perspective that he gives us in this last week, the last days, and now the, even the last hours, we've been looking at the last hours of Jesus' life for several weeks now, starting in chapter 13. Uh, we saw last week this um, betrayal, uh, Jesus being the faithful witness, Peter uh, saying, Jesus, I'll die for you. But we saw that Jesus, Peter was having a difficult time living for Jesus. Uh, while we have Jesus saying, "I am He," we see Peter saying, "I am not He." We see that we see that contrast of going back and forth of we are not humanly possible. We, we just have the ability to be able to be faithful to God enough to do anything. And uh, and Jesus is the only faithful witness that we have. He's the only faithful one that is pleading for us and interceding for us that the Father is pleased with, and we've seen that through this whole testimony. But as you turn there, turn with me to uh, um, the book of uh, the epistle, or the letter to the Ephesians, that just one uh, section there of chapter one, just to kind of give us a perspective again of where we are as we're looking at this account of Christ's life uh, I know we all have different versions so we can't all read it together but I can read it for you and you can follow along it's verse 11 of chapter 1 of the of uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians and it says in him we have a pain and inheritance uh having been predestined but this is the this is the phrase that I want us to kind of uh dwell upon this morning according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now this is where, if you've heard me say from the very beginning, uh, over a year and a half ago now, since I've been here, Susie asked me how long we've been here, I said it's it's amazing it's been that long. But uh, um, since I started and we we started talking about Peter's uh, letter that there's this, there's this doctrine of concurrence, and we talked about that about, uh, and we're going to see that today. We saw it last week, we're going to see it today. We can't help but see it through the scriptures when we read it. that's why it's important to have lenses to see it and to understand what it's all about. and it's, it's, it's uh, to run together. that's really what concurrence is. It's running together uh, as we see human responsibility and human actions seeming to flow right in God's decree and God's will, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us how that even works. But the Bible tells us that God is in complete control according, as it says here, according to the purpose, according to the counsel of God, according to God's will, he accomplishes everything. And we're going to see a train wreck of a life, as we've been seeing of Jesus, if anybody and many people do look at Jesus as being a victim, uh, people who don't understand what this all means, as we saw that the, that the disciples didn't understand what was going on, and they were close to Jesus, there are people who look at Jesus and say that, you know, he was a nice guy and he has a, uh, you know, we need to understand him from a theological perspective, but he's not, he's not the only way. He's not the all in all. He's not the answer to the question that plagues us all. He's not the only way to God. He is not the only truth. He is not the only life. He is not the only way that, that can we can come to the Lord. And uh, there are people out there who believe that, you know, Jesus is among many and we can learn a lot from him. But poor Jesus was caught up. And we have to look at this that this train wreck, as we're looking at, and we see again, we're going to see sin. We're going to see we're going to see pol- political decisions being made. We're going to see consciences being being plagued and 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 being pricked. We're going to see a hatred uh, leading people to certain decisions. We're going to see people compromise. We're going to see people lie. We're going to see people do whatever they can to get their way and all and these are people who are who are used by God to accomplish his purpose. And the same thing happens in our life. God uses our decisions whether good or evil and he uses he allows Satan on the leash that he has him to be on to accomplish his purposes purposes. He allows other people's decisions in your life and other people's mistakes and other people's terrible and dreadful decisions in other people's lives, and God is in control of it all. And that's what we've been seeing in the Gospel of John, that Jesus is not a pawn. He is not a player. He is the leader. He is the writer of it all. And that's what we want. I want everybody to understand here today as we come to church and as we leave for church today, that as we look at this, we aren't just looking at the passion of Christ. We are looking at the very author of history, the author and the perfector of our faith, as we read this this account today. so follow along with me as we read the one of the the main players in today's uh, passage is Pilate, who would have probably gone obscure and and unknown in history if it were not for him being documented for this very occasion in as Churches read the creed according and suffered under Pilate. According to the will of Pilate, he suffered. But it really wasn't the will of Pilate, it was the will of the Father. And so we, we, people are saying Pilate's name, this man who would have just lived on in oblivion, who knows, maybe, in a, maybe, maybe in a book, he was nothing great for anything else other than to be used as an instrument to be played by. The Lord to bring about salvation for us. So this terrible story for us is a really great story, though it's a tragedy to hear the lies, the cheating, the compromising, the hypocrisy of religious people, of political people, which is ongoing every day of our lives. Sometimes we're those players that we see that somehow God takes all of those tributaries in the the will and the river and the stream of his decrees and just makes them all work out Romans 8 28 in the life of Joseph uh, we see in the life of many people in in the Bible we see that God allows all these things to take place God says as Joseph says to us that sometimes they're meant for good and sometimes they're meant for evil but God uses them for his glory And so turn with me to, again, verse 28 of John's Gospel, chapter 18, when he says, Then, this is after we have seen Peter deny Christ three times and the rooster crowing. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. John's giving us this detail because he was there. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. We can see a lot of love here, right? We see a a lot of people getting along so well. Pilate said to them, I take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now, it's already, this man's already signed, sealed, delivered, dead. And we looked at that in chapter 11, that Caiaphas said, this guy's going to die. We're going to kill him. The high priest, the holiest man of Israel, is going to kill the Messiah. This was to fulfill verse 32 the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his, his headquarters again, called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it about to you about me? Pilate's answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, King is your word, not mine. Which is really how it should be translated here. You say that I am a king, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness. That word that has been with us from the very beginning, in the prologue of John's gospel, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber or he was really, it could be translated robber or he just was a person who led a rebellion. Then Pilate, in verse 1 of chapter 19, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are, not a Caesar, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the stone pavement, pavement and in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, which means it was the day of preparation And it was about the sixth hour, meaning that they were getting ready for the Sabbath. It was Friday. It was the sixth hour and he said to the Jews, first he said to him, behold the man. And now he says to him, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Ha ha. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be with us as we read this account that we again are moved by your love for us, Jesus, that you are the faithful one. You are the one in spite of all the things that you see going on around you, the injustice, the lies, the hypocrisy, the sadness of the state of your people but not amaze at the death of people's hearts and the blindness of their mind and heart to who you are. Lord, we thank you for maintaining that witness so that we may stand firm in your resolve to save us from our sins. From our sins, Lord, that we deserve wrath and your anger and your hatred. And yet, Lord, you, by your design and by your pre- then destining us, choosing us before the foundations of the world have called us to be your children. So, Lord, you've changed us so that hopefully now, Lord, we see this story as a story of sadness and yet a story of thankfulness because you are sovereign over it all. And we ask your will to be working in us now as we sit together that your spirit would apply these things to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we go back and we see that Pilate is entering this story. We saw a while ago that Annas and and Caiaphas, uh, Jesus was brought to Annas first, who was the high priest at one time, deposed, still a major player. Caiaphas, now the high priest who had declared Jesus good as dead, like the Godfather, put a contract out on his life, saying he's done. It's better that this one man die than the entire nation die and we lose the great life that we've been living. So now we come to the culmination of his plans, of all the cronies he's put in place, of all the players and the chess pieces that he's put into place, see now coming together. And again, John focuses on a certain part of this, but to get the full picture, we see what's happening You know, during this time in in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where we see, you know, the crowds, the liars, the false witnesses, we see that, don't forget, we know that at this time, Pilate's wife has had a dream of stay away from this Jesus, stay away from this guy, don't have anything to do with him. We have to realize that there's a lot of stuff going on. One of the things about studying history with a biblical and a in a Christian perspective, how it changes history for me. Literature changed. History changed. Everything changed. I wish I was a believer when I was studying these things in school. But thankfully, I went to a Christian college where I could see these things from a perspective that opened my eyes to be able to say, Wow! If this king wasn't in place, and this battle wasn't going on at this time, Martin Luther would have never been able to do what he did or happened through Martin Luther. He didn't plan on it. It just, he was just a part of God's plan and to see how Pontius Pilate was put there and, and his background and Pilate was a politician. He didn't have a firm ground. He was a marked man. He was afraid of his power. He desired power, but he was, he, he had, he didn't have a really great relationship with, with uh, Caesar um, the Caesar of the time was kind of a paranoid person who would, anybody of any insurrection, anybody who was not loyal, he would wipe out. So you can see why Pilate was acting the way that he did. Pilate hated the Jews, was really marked and called, called upon for being so brutal to them at many times of his tenure, which was from 25 or 26 A.D. to 35 or 36 A.D., nine to ten years Pilate was in place before he was kicked out. So politics had a lot to do with this. We have to understand why Pilate acted the way Pilate did, and why the Jews were acting the way they did, and why they could manipulate him, as you see him being manipulated. Even though he was pounding his chest, and even though he was throwing out his membership card, of who he was, one of the leaders of Rome, you see that he was a pathetic person besides. So Pilate is in place, and they bring him, they bring Jesus from Caiaphas's place to the to the governor's headquarters, who is Pilate, early in the morning. Notice, again, I'm gonna I'm trying not to be sarcastic here. But when you see hypocrisy in your face, it's so hard not to laugh at it or to see it. Now, people see it in our lives and they laugh at it. We don't laugh at it in our lives because we don't see it. If somebody called me a hypocrite, I'd be upset. But I have probably sure been a hypocrite, saying I've done one thing and done something, said one thing and done something else. But notice the hypocrisy of the Jews here, of the religious leaders. They themselves did not want to enter the governor's quarters because he was a pagan and he was a Gentile. And going into a Gentile's home would defile a Jew. So they did not want to be defiled, so they they did not enter the governor's palace or the praetorium. Why? Because they wanted to make sure that they were not defiled to participate in the Passover. Yet, what were they doing? They were they were they had a kangaroo court. They were just railroading Jesus to kill him. You know, it's like a mafia movie. It's like a soap opera. You know, all these people going to church while, you know, uh, the uh, the uh, the Godfather's blowing somebody's brains out. Well, here we are in a soap opera. They're in a the chapel, and, and they're having, or they're in a the church, and they're having a baptism for a baby that was born to a family that everybody in the, in the whole family who was standing up for them is as crooked as your dog's hind leg. And now they don't want to be defiled. How holy, how righteous, how wonderful these people are. They don't want to be defiled. They want to make sure... That these, their religion is pure. And I laugh because I know that in my prior life, in my prior to spiritual life, I, was, I know how much of a hypocrite I was. Of making sure that, you know, you've heard me say, I would go out on a Friday and a Saturday and do whatever I wanted to do and be totally justified for being the useful man that I was to fulfill all those appetites that would drive me and then make sure that I didn't eat meat on Friday, made sure that I sacrificed or did I I fasted for three hours until the Pope changed the rule to one hour before communion, made sure that I went to all the stations of the cross. I mean, and I'm not mocking it. I'm just telling you this is what my religion was like. Made sure that I was Religious, yes, I had ashes on my head. I remember sitting around with a bunch of guys who were, we were, you know, we just had not a spiritual bone in our body, but yet were religious people on those places we had to be. And when we ate meat on a Friday, I remember sitting in my, in the, well, I was uh, working with the tool grinders in a machine shop, and we all made the mistake of eating a roast beef sandwich on Friday during Lent. And we were afraid. We were going, oh, I think my stomach. Oh, I hope God doesn't strike us dead. Oh, I feel terrible. And we, at the time, we were serious. It's serious. You know, we laugh about it, but it's serious. We were angsting over our condition with God. Yet, did we give a rip of what we were talking about throughout work and what our language was like and what we were planning on doing and where we were going to hang out or what these guys were doing and who they were living with and who they were hanging with? That had nothing. We compartmentalize ourselves. Here we see this religious hypocrisy that we can laugh at, but we got to be cautious that we are not that way. We can be that way still. You know, making sure that, you know, we're members of the church and we're baptized, and our kids are this, and our kids got, you know, we got all the medals from we going to make sure that we get all the certificates ready. We make sure that we're all looking nice on Sundays. We make sure that we do all the trappings of being good Reformed Protestants and still be as hypocrites. It happens. So Pilate went outside to accommodate the Jews. He went outside. Now, this man, you, you got to, did you mark how many times I did? In, out. He was in, he was out. He was accommodating so much, the guy, I'm surprised he didn't have, you know, some sort of neurotic syndrome. I mean, he was just going in and out so much. Why would he just stay and talk? No, he'd bring Jesus in, he'd take him out, he'd go in, he'd go out. It was this constant flow of this, this guy who was paranoid, but yet in power. He says so to them, what accusation do you bring against this man? And notice, notice that there must have been something going on. Because there were, you know, there were guards. When they went after Jesus in the garden, there were guards. There were there were the, 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 the police from the from the temple came. You know, there were Roman soldiers armed, you know, they armed with swords and lights and all kinds of torches and stuff. There had to be some collusion going on here. It's not like Pilate didn't know what was going on. So that's why you can understand the remark. He goes, if this man were not doing evil, you idiot. Would we not have delivered him over to you? You know, what you know, we just we brought him over here. What do you think we are? We know you know what's going on. But he had to play the part. He wanted to know. He was doing his job, so to speak. And they answer, and then Pilate said to them, You take them. Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And the Jews says, wait a minute, we want to kill this guy, and we don't have it. We can't kill people. We can't stop. All we can do is stone people, and they didn't stone people. It was outlawed to do that. They didn't do it for a long time. So notice what John says in verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show how the kind of death he was going to die, and it, he had to be cursed because everybody who hangs on a tree or on a cross is cursed, and that's who Jesus had to be, so he couldn't be stoned to death. He had to be murdered and killed by the Romans who were specialists of being of crucifixion, they held that in their pocket that that was their that was their specialty. That's what they did best. So Pilate enters his headquarters again, called to Jesus and said to him, "Okay, are you the King of the Jews?" Now there's eleven questions going on here. Now questions are good. You've always heard me say questions are good things. You need to ask questions, and when you want people to ask you questions, because that's how you understand where people are coming from. Questions are not something to run away from, to run towards. So you want people to ask questions, and you want them to, and you want to ask questions. And so we see 11 questions going back and forth. But remember, Jesus doesn't do a whole lot of talking here, because what does it say in Isaiah? He's like a sheep led to slaughter, he doesn't open his mouth. What has he done? He's done for the last 20 chapters, 19 chapters, he. Has bared the witness of who he is. It's over with. He's going to die on the cross. Everybody he wants to tell, he's telling. The next thing is now proclaiming it by doing it, by opening his arms up and dying for the people that are his people. And so he doesn't say anything. He says, "Then, but then he." But the thing that's good is that even at that time. He doesn't share a whole lot more information other than when he gets Pilate. Pilate, why do you say the things that you say? Remember, I told you this when you're evangelizing to people or you're talking to people, is the good people to clarify what they mean. When they mean Jew, when they mean Bible, what do you mean? When you mean born-again Christian, or what the word Christian mean, or who Jesus is? Ask him to define who he is. Because most times than not, they have a completely different interpretation. And so Jesus says, no, wait a minute. Do you say this of your own accord? Is this something that you really want to know who I am? Or did others say it about, about me to you? And then Pilate goes, I'm not a Jew. Do you think I care? Your own nation and a chief priest have delivered over me. What have you done? He's in, in, in getting his own investigation. Jesus answered, he goes, now my kingdom is not of this world. He is not saying it's not from this world. He's defining his kingdom. It's not anything that has risen from the earth. It has never risen from the world. God's kingdom comes from heaven. It comes from above. That's why he's saying it is not of this world. He is. It is in the world. But it is not from this world. It did not derive from this world. Why? Because his kingdom is defined completely different than any other kingdom that has ever existed. Notice what he says here. He goes, if my kingdom were from horizontally this world, my servants, like poor Peter tried to do, took out the sword. I'm going to defend Jesus. If that was the case, I wouldn't have stopped them. It's not horizontal, he says. This is not about a horizontal understanding. You don't understand what's going on because it's from above. Nicodemus, you don't understand because you need for being born from above. You're looking at everything horizontally, and that's why you're blind. You need to be born again from above so you understand what I'm talking about. So Jesus is telling Pilate here, listen, clarify. If I'm a king, I'm not from anything that you can think of. I'm not a threat to you at all from a horizontal perspective. He says, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And that's where Jesus says, well, it's your word, not mine. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, the next statement is, says a lot about who Pilate is. Because what does Pilate say? What is truth? Is he cynical or is he curious? Evidently, he didn't say, tell me more. He just goes back outside and he looks at these guys and he says, I don't find anything wrong with them. He didn't. You notice that the trigger question that would have shown that Pilate may have been called by God, like you and I, when we were told about Jesus, we needed to be told more. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was working in our lives and was giving us something that we had never heard before or understood before. That's the Holy Spirit working in us giving us a desire to find out who Jesus is. Prior to that, we remember, we were only living by the law. We were living under the law. We were under the demands of the law. Then when Jesus comes in our life, when the Holy Spirit works in our heart, what happens? He gives us a desire for Jesus. So we see here now that Pilate shows that he ain't one of them. He shows that he does not have a desire for the truth. But he's always known for that. Two things uh, Pilate has been known for, right? What is truth? You hear people, you've heard, it's in writings. Oh, you can remember Pilate, oh, yes, that wonderful question, what is truth? And what is the other statement he's always done? I've washed my hands. How many times has that been used? So Pilate goes outside and notice the witness and the testimony of Pilate is three times, what does he say about Jesus. I can't find anything wrong with him. This is what John is testifying, that this is how hideous this train wreck of a life of Jesus is right now, is that even Pilate says he's nothing wrong with him. And then we go back to the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, and we read that Judas comes back, completely has a conscious attack, and he says, I've sinned. Here's your money. I don't want anything to do with this money. I have innocent blood on my hands. So we see all these accounts of Jesus not being guilty, and we see this railroad of a court just taking Jesus to die. Why? It's because Jesus has to die. That's how God has ordained it. That's how he's decreed it. Even though he has used the lies, the cheats, the political power, He's used everything that we look at and saying, how could he allow this to happen? And the reason is that because without these people, this would have not happened this way. But you have a custom that I should release no one, and no one could really find that custom, but they say for you you at the Passover. So they said, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Which was probably like sticking... Toothpicks under their fingernails. And then notice they cry out, they are saying, Not this man, we want Barabbas. Tradition says that Barabbas' name is Jesus Barabbas. And Barabbas means Bar, meaning son, Abba, meaning father. Jesus, the son of the father. Now we have two Jesus, the son of the father, standing. Who do you get? One who's not guilty and one who is known. That's what Pilate couldn't understand. I've got enough evidence on Barabbas. He's got, a, he's got a sheet down at headquarters as long as the Mississippi River. But there's nothing against this guy. Nothing. Here's a man who has no desire in the truth whatsoever, but the truth here is he can't find anything wrong. So they want Barabbas. Then Pilate takes Jesus and flogs him. Why? There's nothing wrong with him. He didn't find anything wrong. He just said he's not guilty. What's going on? J- uh, Nick, excuse me. Uh, Pilate wants nothing to do with this. Probably in his mind, his wife's dream is going through his head. He doesn't want anything to do with this. This is a sticky situation. What has he already done? He's already sent back Jesus to Herod because, oh, that's where he came from. I'm going to send it to him, jurisdiction. Herod says, sends him back to Pilate. He's like a bad penny. He can't get rid of Jesus. Jesus is back in his lap. Why? Because Pilate is the one who God is going to use to have his son killed. And so he flogs him. Why? Because at this point it's a political it's a political move. This is not the flogging of Jesus for an person who's guilty and to be executed. There were three different floggings every year. probably you hear this at the Passover time at the Easter time. There's three different floggings. One not so serious, bad enough. Not so serious. The third one is the one that when a person has been has been uh, sentenced to execution and crucifixion. that's where they beat him to a, to almost to death, where you know his bones are sticking out, his organs are hanging out, he's bleeding to death. he can barely function. In fact, they can just you know maybe he's a pulse when they nail him to the cross, just so that he doesn't, they don't lay on the hang on the cross for a long time. So he flogs him because he thinks that if I show a little blood. a little sympathy for Jesus. Maybe they'll realize, ah, the guy's done his time. He's been beat up. He's been, I mean, he's had a tough time here. Everybody's going against him. Maybe if I show a little blood, a little beating, a little bruising, maybe they'll feel compassion for him saying, ah, he's okay. All right, go ahead. It's a Passover. You see, that the, I keep on going in my head, the Passover is about the exodus, about leaving slavery and the bondage, and look at what these people are. They're celebrating an event that shows, even by their own passion and desire, that they're still very much in bondage to sin. So then, the soldiers then take a little liberty, mock Jesus, they take some thorns. Again, boy, you can get really involved in what kind of thorns they were, how long they were, what kind of bush it was. You know, guys, I can't tell you. It makes a whole lot of beans. If you give me one thorn in my finger, I'm screaming. But there's the, the, the possibility is which, is, which may be, is that remember rulers thought or they were deemed to be divine. And so by having these very long, some say that they were 12 inches long, these thorns, and then when they pressed it into Jesus' head, that, that they looked like kind of like divine rays coming out of his head. So they were trying to mock him, saying, he is divine, looking at the glow coming off of his head, looking at the, 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 the very presence of, of divinity exuding from him. And then not only put a purple robe as one of royalty, they just mocked him and slapped him continually. Hail, king of the Jews. They were mocking him. They were beating him up. And then Pilate went out again. He's out in, out. He's out now and said to them, See, I am bringing to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So then they say, Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns. And they said, now look at him. He says, behold. This isn't a God. Because if he was a God, we wouldn't be able to do this to him. It's only a man. That's his appeal. This is a pitiful man. But, again, Pilate doesn't know what he's doing in the eyes of God. And when he calls him the man, Jesus really is the man. He is the man. He is the perfect human being. There is no fracture, no cracks, no bruises, no faults. Nothing wrong about Jesus. He is perfection of humanity. You and I look at each other and we look like human beings, but folks, we're not. We are not totally human beings because we are fractured people because of sin. We are fallen creatures. Jesus is none of that. This is a man. He is the man, as we would say today. You're a man. He is a man. He is it. He is the perfect the perfect example of humanity, that has, the only one has ever lived, except for Adam. Because Adam didn't have any sin, Adam had a free will. We don't have a free will, Adam had a free will. Adam didn't have sin in his life until he made a choice, and then he lost his free will. Because then he, what happens is that, you've heard me say, he's in a fight between my desire and God's desire. And God loses. And you and I know that God loses many times in our lives, even though we're still believers. There's still someone reigning. <clears throat> so the power that reigns at the moment we make that decision really is the winner, and our will is not. We're agents, of free- we're agents of freedom, but folks, you and I know that there are lots of stuff going through our mind that make us choose. We are not just free from making any decision in our life. We see this perfection of manhood standing in front, divine, fully man and fully God standing before these people. And he goes out, he goes, behold the man. And when the chief priests cried out, they said, they saw him, mocked him as a king. They've seen him beaten up. They see this pathetic man. You know, it's a joke. He's a joke. And Pilate's calling the king of the Jews. He hates the Jews. He really just thinks this is laughing behind the scenes, going, Look at this. This is their king. What a joke. And they're looking at him and going, What a mockery this is. And you see this, this, this hatred just oozing out all over the place. And then he says, then he goes, take him for yourself, you crucify him, because I don't find any guilt in him. And they said, no, wait a minute, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. Well, in the Bible, even kings and rulers of, of, of Israel were called son of God. It was a title that was used to denote someone's position, especially over Israel. So it wasn't that he's the first one, and there were lots of people calling themselves divine. There were always cracks crackpots coming out saying that they were sons of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he became even more afraid, because now Pilate's thinking about his wife's dream, and he's saying, wow, if this guy is the son of God, if this guy is divine in some way, he becomes superstitious all of a sudden. It wasn't he wasn't afraid before, now he's even more afraid. He says, oh my goodness, if this guy's really a god, look at what I've done to him. What's going to happen to me? So when he says he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, wait a minute now, where are you from? Wait a minute, they just said you, were, you said you claim to be the son of God. Where are you from? He asked them a question because they wanted to know. Him, and Jesus gave no answer. And so Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you know that I have the power and the authority? And Jesus says, listen, you think you're in control. You think you're in control of everything, but you have no control whatsoever. Unless my father gives you that control, you have no control. In fact, you're a pathetic looking leader. You're pathetic. He says, if it were not have you don't have the authority over me unless it had been given to you from above, therefore, he do, who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. So now notice Jesus gives it to Pilate. Because he does a comparison here. He talks about a greater sin. He is saying that Judas, Caiaphas, and even those, even the Jews, who gave Jesus over to be killed. Why? Because it says, in prologue, it says, Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. And we see throughout it that the Jews were somebody adamantly against him the whole time. But we're all culpable. All of humanity is culpable. The Jews aren't the only ones to blame, but they are, he says here, in a gravity of sin. Who should they be be looking for? Jesus. And they didn't see him. And they killed him. But notice it says that the one who gave them over to me, over to you, has a greater sin. So he even told Pilate, he says, you're a sinner too. He says, there's sin in your life. What you're doing to me is sin. But it's not as bad as those who know more. It's not, you know, there are degrees of sin. There are degrees. All sin is sin. Yeah, it's it's a transgression of God's law. But you and I know that there's, you know, if I slap you, it's one thing. If I slap my mother, that's a, that's a weightier sin. It's a weightier transgression. There are consequences of a person and who that person is and the consequences to what sin does in your life. As I said, you know, you know, Life is like a glass lake, and you throw a pebble in it, and it has ripples. You throw a boulder in it, it has waves. All sin has some consequences to it. It may be small, it may be large. And Jesus is saying, you're a sinner, but what? what the people that, you, that gave me over to you are, are, are more culpable. And then from then on... Pilate. This is a, an intense word that means that he kept on trying to release him in verse 12. But the Jews cried out, "If you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now it's no longer a religious problem. Now they're playing the political card. And you and know, I told you all the outlines of where Caesar was. I mean, where Pilate was, and what kind of Caesar." He was, and, and he would be known to drop people's heads off real easy if anybody found that he was opposed to him. Well, any questions asked, off with his head. So what's the worst thing that could happen to Pilate? Is that news goes back from the Jews that, that Pilate is, is, is a, hates Caesar, and he lets somebody go. So Pilate, when he heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat him down on the, on the judgment, and now this judgment is taking place at the stone pavement. Now it was day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and notice what he says. He goes, now, here, you behold the man, now behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? And notice the hypocrisy and the lies. Now you talk about somebody who is talking about a heresy. We have no king but Caesar. They hate Romans. They hate Caesar. They hate everything he stands for. And notice, just to get their way, they say that Caesar is their king. These are religious people. These are people who are supposed to be looking for the Messiah, and they're lying. And so we see, oh my goodness, Jesus, how has this all happened to you? And the answer is is that this is how God planned it to be. Because this leads up to what? It leads up to the resurrection. It leads up to us being purified from our sins. It leads us to up having the inheritance because we've been called by God and chosen by God before the foundations of the world. And he has had this plan in place and it's included you and me. And even though he had to endure all the suffering... Yet before him, the joy that was set before him, the glory of God, the ugliness of the cross, but yet you and me and the other side is what trumped everything for Jesus. And so, everything happens and is accomplished according to the good will and the good purpose of God. So we see why Romans 8.28 can be spoken And 829 and 830 and 831, 832, 33, 33, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ because his love is unbelievable. And his love is set in stone. He gave his life for us. The Father has ratified his death and his life by the resurrection so that we may have peace with God. We can know that we have eternal life. That's why John writes that first, that first letter. He goes, I'm writing this, not so that you become Christians. No, I'm writing to Christians so I want you to remind you that you have eternal life, that you are God's children. And that's why he says, how can God, In such a way lavish this love of honest I can't conceive that he's lavish this love of honest that he has given us the ability and the pleasure and the privilege to call ourselves the children of God through Jesus Christ so again what does this mean for us it means that Jesus loved us a whole bunch and secondly that even in the time of a train wreck of a life God's very much in control and I'm thankful, even despite my weaknesses, I'm thankful that I can come back to this book and realize, Lord, I, I, it rots. I don't like what's going on, but I'm just, I can't do anything but trust in who you are because if you love me enough to die for me, you love me enough to take care of my life. So let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, we ask you to help us to pull this all in as we again see... This humanity at its worst. We see humanity around us at its worst. Sometimes, Lord, we look in a mirror and we see not a very good human being. And Lord, we cannot understand how you bring all of the evil things together, all of the terrible things that happen in our lives, in the lives of your saints around the globe, the terrible, terrible, terrible things that go on. And yet, Father, you use them for your glory and for our good. Lord, if anyone can describe that to us and explain it to us, Lord, they do not understand it. That, Lord, this is only accomplished by you. This only makes sense through you. It only makes sense because of our understanding of, that you are the God of the universe and that you are in control of every molecule and every atom. Which means that you are very much understanding our lives. And so Lord, I pray that we find encouragement from this terrible story about Jesus. That we find encouragement that he is very well aware that you are in control. And that he is, he is leading this play. He is not just a player in the play. That you are the one that is running this entire life. And Lord, we thank you for that. And pray that you forgive us when we lose sight of that. Increase our faith so that, Lord, we may not sin against you. And Father, give us an opportunity to encourage each other when we find ourselves so forlorn and so overcome by the events of life that we find ourselves struggling with life itself. That Lord, this is the place, this is the the church is the pillar of truth, the place where truth lies because Jesus, you are the truth and your word is the truth and it is only in this place where we will be taught it and learn it and hear it. So Father, help us to support one another and love one another as we live our lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.